Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Nikias Duncan of the Dunker Spot podcast and Basketball News, and really fun conversation. We ended up talking about the top of the East, which teams are in that kind of top tier, which teams are not, and why, and a similar conversation in the West, and, you know, extending into other teams, of course, including what's going on with the Lakers and some of the teams that are interesting to us over the next few weeks of action. So thought it was a really fun conversation, runs a little bit less than an hour, and I hope you really enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. How are you? Good, man. How are you? I am doing pretty well. We didn't do a lot of prep for this. You and I both watch enough of the league that we didn't need to, but I brought up beforehand that one of the things I wanted to discuss was I'm feeling less certain with who I think is going to come out of the Eastern Conference, looking more towards May and early June. And <laughs> you, you, your voice kind of lit up a little bit. I think, you ha- I think you're, you're ready to discuss this a little bit. Oh, yeah. Let's get into it. For me, the big picture thing is I'm becoming, especially with some of Kyrie's comments, I'm becoming less certain that the Nets are going to be the full strength Nets for all seven games of the playoff series they play. So that, you know, if that logic holds, then that makes them a weaker team than I thought they might be. Also, it hasn't all fit together well. And then the other big component of it for me, and we can get into whether you think Cleveland should be in this conversation at all, is I had been really skeptical of Miami's half-court offense. I, I never doubted their defense at all, and I'm feeling better about that at this moment. So what I think has happened is the team that I thought was the best is a little bit worse, and the team mm-hmm. that I thought was kind of at the bottom of the top is a little bit stronger. So that means it's a harder thing to predict in my eyes. Okay, I can see where you're coming from. For me, like, and I have always accepted I'm on the minority of this. Like, I've just, I just have not believed in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Milwaukee was my pick last year. Milwaukee's my pick heading into the year. And like, to be transparent, like, I haven't seen anything to move me off of that yet. I will say, like, I'm glad that we are bringing up Miami on this podcast because they have been, I want to say world beaters, but they've been really freaking good this year. And the way that they've had to shape shift on both ends of the floor is incredible to me. Like, I think this is Eric Spolster's best coaching job because it, it it's one thing to just say, okay, okay, we're missing some of our key pieces. Let's get some role guys in. Let's see if they can hold serve for us. But to be able to do that and also, okay, offensively, we're going to grind you down to a halt. We're going to lose our offensive hub. Now we're just going to bomb a bunch of threes. Defensively, we're going to switch a ton. Now we're going to play drop. Now we're going to blitz all the time. Now we're going to mix in zone. And they haven't really skipped the beat. Like, they've been really good against good teams. They beat the bad teams that they were supposed to. They've been pretty much a top 10 offense and top 10 defense all year long, despite all these changes. So if you didn't believe in Miami's chances before, like you 
you absolutely have to now. You do. And one stat that I think is super telling on it is that the the Heat have played about it's about sixteen hundred possessions. That's how Queen the Glass does it. Or sorry, eight nineteen hundred possessions without Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo on the floor, outscoring teams by five point six points per hundred possessions. <laughs> They've had a little bit under six hundred possessions with those two guys and Kyle Lowry off the floor, plus eight point one net rating. That is astonishing. And what what you think about with that is so so one part of this for me is the Heat depth is much better. That is a triumph of talent evaluation. That is a triumph of player development and those guys just being better. You know, I, I didn't know that much about Max Struess going into the last year and a half and Martin has done a much better job than I anticipated. Yurtsevin, I still think of him as more of an 82 game player than a 16 game player, but he's been a very useful 82 game player for them. Mm-hmm. And that's one part of it. But what I think is fascinating about the Heat is that sometimes this success doesn't make them a more likely playoff victor or anything like that. But I I think that it has, partially because these players are going to have smaller roles, but they can fill them. I'm more confident that they can do those now than before. And the other part is it's a reminder that this team is exceedingly well coached. And as you brought up, that there are all these different things that they've had to do. And that is a great, albeit imperfect, proxy for the crucible that the playoffs are. Like in the regular season, you have to do those theoretically with weaker talent against teams that are more variable in terms of talent. In the playoffs, Mm. you have to do that against really good teams, really good players which is a challenge, but the idea that Miami can succeed, especially defensively, a lot of different ways, that is something that bodes extremely well. Yeah, like we kind of saw it with Milwaukee. You know, if you're just going to compare their last two seasons, it was like, okay, cool. This is the best drop defense in the league. They didn't really have a counter in the postseason. And so if you run up against a bad matchup or a team that gets hot from three, then you're kind of out of water. Last year, they spent the regular season experimented with different things particularly going with the switching and so they were able to kind of shape shift when they needed to in the latter rounds of the postseason and that helped them win a title and so for miami like that's just kind of built in for them yeah like experimentation has just that's just what spo does period and so now you have you know depth was a question for miami coming into the year it's i don't think it's a question now like you saw some of the at least you know someone that watches Miami pretty closely like i saw some flashes from max Struess towards the end of last season i didn't expect him to be a guy that's shooting like 40 percent from three on eight attempts in the month of January. Like, that's a lot. What Caleb Martin has been able to do on both ends of the floor. As a play finisher, as a cutter, the jumper looks a little bit better. Defensively, he's defending wings. He's defending point guards for Miami. Mm -hmm. P.J. Tucker, like, when Bam was out, P.J. Tucker was the guy they were running their post-split stuff through. And I'm just like, wait, why is P.J. Tucker dribbling, much less actually having the offense ran through him? But it's working. And so, once these guys prove they can scale up, it's to your point, they can also scale down when necessary. When they get the full assortment, now you can say, okay, we don't need 28 minutes of Caleb Martin defending a team's best player and also doing stuff on offense we only need 17 minutes for that now and like they just seem very well equipped to match up with just about anyone from a scheme perspective i mean there are certain matchups that they may have some issues with which is why i ultimately don't have them as the favorite in the east right now but i think it's fair to say they're the best coach they're the most well coached team in the league or at least the best best well coached team in the east if you want to give the nod to Ty Lue in the west of what he's doing right now Ty, Ty Lue is doing an incredible job i'm really happy you brought that up the clippers have not always been the most talented group out there right now but they're still winning games they're still competing and i mean that the way that they're they've succeeded to some degree on offense and defense when you consider the available personnel really is an accomplishment for Ty Lue. Mm-hmm. And, and with Miami, I the biggest concern, the reason I didn't have them in kind of the tippy top tier before was conceptually their half court offense. You know, the idea of, okay, how are they going to create advantages? How are they going to maximize those? Especially if 
they need to have enough defenders on the floor to make that part of it work. So then you're going to, you're not going to play hero Robinson and another offensive player probably together. That's just not the way, you know, it's going to work necessarily against the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And to some degree, I think that's still there. I think that, you know, against the the Bucks of the world and the, the better defensive teams in the Western Conference, and even to a lesser extent against some of the other teams in the East, that could be a challenge. Like, I'm not I'm not all the way there. I'm, this is not, as you said, a world beater. I don't know that I have the Heat as the favorite to come out right now, but I do feel a little bit better about that. And the other thing that I feel better about is that when Lowry's been on the floor, they've been running enough. And so you, you mm-hmm. typically a running game is more of a regular season thing than a playoff thing because teams just get back. You burn the candle at both ends when you have to do it for six, seven games. Mm-hmm. But having that is going to be useful. And the, also having more functional depth conceptually. I mean, it, it, this gets a little dicey. You have to manage it right, though. I think Spoh's better than most. Of You have more capable players. In an ideal world, that means you can play... Guys can play harder and just play fewer minutes, but typically mm-hmm. that's not the way it works in the playoffs because you play harder and you play more minutes. Hooray. <laughs> yeah, and there's just also the thing of, like, you get to the postseason, you typically want to shrink your rotation. Like, okay, these are the eight guys that we're right. going to battle with, and then here's the wild card. And for Miami, at a best case right now, they may just have, like, 11 guys worthy of playing time. And, like, that's just not going to be tenable in a, in a postseason setting. Um, shout out to the the random postseason game last year where Bud played, I think, 11 guys. That was <laughs> Yeah, <fun>. that was <laughs> crazy. <laughs> And, but, and with and with Miami, I got this question on a, on a Twitter Spaces recently. Somebody asked about a consolidation trade. And the problem there for Miami is a practical limitation that most of their guys that you would consolidate are low, are low salary players, and it's hard to consolidate low salary players because you can't you know you you bundle them together and you're, they're still making like five million dollars. Yeah. And the other part of it is what I think makes. Pat Riley's job so compelling after this year, the way you might end up playing this out, and I don't think you do this right now, is you use some of these lower cost guys to replace higher cost guys. And so you, you it's not necessarily a consolidation of the cheap guys. It's a consolidation in a different way. And what I mean by that is if Max Drews is super good, maybe you mm-hmm. don't need Max Drews and Duncan Robinson. So the solution there is not to sell on Max Drews, but to sell on Duncan Robinson. Right, right, right. And I think that's going to be a question for them to consider in the offseason and also just moving forward um the other part of that is like as much as the depth is stepped up like they've also needed this because they've had oh yeah seasons where they've missed four five six guys so it's also kind of funny like all right cool let's package three of these guys together it's like well you don't know when another covid outbreak might hit you don't want to do a two for one or a three for one or a four for two and then you get an outbreak and now you're looking for another kyle guy on the two-way which shout out to Kyle Guy who had a career high in his first game in Miami. But, you know, in general, like you don't want to put yourself behind that wheel either. It's a difficult thing to balance. So I don't begrudge Pat Riley and Andy Ellisberg and that front office for trying to find walk that law walk that line for sure um, and also consolidation trades are extremely difficult and unlikely to do because the other yeah. team has to like what you have and you have to want what, what they have and on the bucks point it's not as ridiculous as it was before but if if for anybody who for whatever reason would doubt it the bucks are currently i guess they're fifth in net rating second in, in clean the glasses version second in the eastern conference you know just a light plus 11 when Giannis drew and chris middleton are playing together <laughs> and, and that's without brooke lopez basically being available for the entire season and i i'm still unclear part of why i'm this is just more i was lower on the bucks before the season and nothing has changed it is that i still don't understand their best five is still a little bit nebulous for me you know like is it you know do you want i don't think you can give more than one spot to grayson allen and dante divincenzo but do you give one of them is Connaughton the other guy portis had so many problems in that net series last year and brooklyn's a little bit different this year but so i i would love for them 
them to add one more piece that I truly trust. And like they did that with Marvin Williams a couple of years ago. They did that, of course, with PJ Tucker last year, mm-hmm. but they're still damn good. And I have zero opposition whatsoever to somebody who says that they're the favorite to make it out because they have a guy who can be the best, who is the best player in every series he played in last year. And they also have the structure and talent to make everything work. Yeah, like you just mentioned the stat, like plus 11 with their big three on the court. And this is kind of the fun with Milwaukee. Like you can just do a lot of different things to fill that out. Like if it is a matchup with a traditional big on the floor, you can go with Bobby Portis, who has been shooting the lights out from three this year. And that helps. If you do want to downsize with Giannis at the five, Pat Connaughton, Dante DiVincenzo, Grayson Allen, George Hill has been pretty good this year very quietly like he's been bringing it on defense just at a level of i think what six three with a six eleven wingspan or something ridiculous like that like you can go a bunch of different directions and so i'm not super worried about that like i do understand wanting the comfort of knowing okay these are the five but for milwaukee their top three is so good they're also choosing between three or four other reliable options for sure and also if we're comparing functional depth the options that milwaukee has to choose from versus the options that like the brooklyn Nets have to choose from are fundamentally different. And the Nets not really having somebody that I trust to defend Giannis is a big problem. And Brooklyn, if they have their guys, they can maybe the solution there is that you just outscore them and you you Mm -hmm. do everything else. So I... I think that it's interesting. And then the other point that I wanted to get to while we're in this kind of neck of the woods conversationally is not when we're narrowing the focus to the playoffs. So the calibrations are different. The evaluations are different. Do you think that focusing on those three teams is giving undue short shrift to the Bulls, to the Sixers or to the Cavs? Um, I would say like respectfully as someone that has enjoyed the heck out of watching Cleveland this year, like I can't put Cleveland in this discussion. One, the big thing is just because they've just been hurt and like so much of their depth has been deteriorated because of injuries. It's hard to imagine them winning more than a round, depending on what the matchup is. Not, not to say anything about what Jared Allen's done, what Evan Mobley's done, what Darius Garland has done. Like all, honestly, at least two of those guys should be all-stars this year, in my opinion. But it's just the full picture compared to everyone else. Like, I can't really put them there. Philly, it's a little bit interesting because they have Joel Embiid. Like, if you agree Giannis is the best player in the East, if not the league, then, like, since Christmas, Joel Embiid has at least been on that level. He's been filthy. I mean, he's been just incredible. Yeah. So like that, what Seth Curry's been able to bring him, what Tyrese Maxey's been able to bring him, what Matisse Thibel is still doing defensively. Like, God bless Tobias Harris. He's also a player. Um, Tobias like, Harris they, also <laughs> exists. <laughs> it's true. It's like the meme was like, this is excellent. This is fantastic. This, this other thing is fantastic. That's kind of the Tobias Harris experience for me right now. But like they, theoretically, you can get to like a top seven with them. And it's like, okay, well, if Joel is out of his mind, then we'll see where the matchups fall. But ultimately, I do think it's kind of a three-horse race right now. Like, I think Milwaukee is the favorite for me. Brooklyn just has ridiculous firepower. Miami is deep. They do also have star talent if it's on the floor. And they have the best coach in the league. So I think those three are solidly above everyone else for me right now. The other big element in play kind of for why I have those three teams and then you you have everybody else behind it for now is that there's the concept of versatility and you can put offensive versatility defensive versatility and I think the Cavs are a good crucible are a good way to talk about this especially offensively like Cleveland 
with some of the players they have out, and maybe they could resolve this through a deadline deal, but I, I don't expect it. Mm-hmm. Their offense is built on one or two key things, and those work very well, and I they deserve an immense amount of credit. They are a significantly better team than I expected, fueled by defense, but, and, and Garland has had a wonderful season. But when it cuts down to the playoffs, typically either you need multiple ways to score on an opponent, or the key way has to be undeniable has to be the type of thing that doesn't matter if the other team has perfect personnel, perfect scheming, you're still going to be able to get it. And I think the Blazers are an interesting example of that, where when they, granted, that that team that they faced, the New Orleans one, was a defensive buzzsaw that we didn't necessarily see coming, or that the, the fit against the against the Blazers. But like, that is a challenge that teams like that are going to, are going to have to go through. And for Cleveland, it won't be a failing if that takes them down because it's going to take some time and there's a lot of internal improvement and they actually have the ability to externally improve as well. Mm-hmm. But that's a challenge for them. And for Philly, for me, it's the deep lack of defensive versatility. And this has come up in an interesting way over the last week because there have been all these murmurs, well, beyond murmurs now, like outright like versions of reporting that there's a potential intended union between them and James Harden. And what I was thinking about with that possibility is James Harden at this point in his career, far better. I mean, this has been true for the last seven years, far better in a switching system than a man-to-man system. Joel Embiid, far better in a man-to-man, you know, like a drop coverage or maybe like a hard hedge or something than a switching system. So it can work. I mean, that would be a phenomenal 82 game team. And I think they could could rush a lot of like weaker talent. But Mm -hmm. the idea that you could have a group with those two guys come out of a come out of four series or three series against really good teams it just seems like somebody would give them a bunch of problems i i'm with you like that's a good point like with cleveland the clay return game against uh the cavaliers was a big one it was where that kind of highlights what it is like one golden state is better so like that's one thing but like schematically golden state put andrew wiggins on darius garland that's a lot of length and a lot of athleticism and that kind of neutralized a lot of what cleveland want to do in pick and roll and if they didn't have that like they don't have the wing creator like jared allen can get deep seals you know when running in transition and things like that but he's not a we're gonna dump it to you on the block 12 times a game and get us something guy and evan mobley is just not that guy yet he's better offensively than i thought he would be this early but he's still not go too good and so that just kind of leads to your point like okay maybe if you get a team that can kind of neutralize the pick and roll attack it gets troublesome defensively it's interesting for philly like i i think in general i agree with you um i think there are workarounds for that with harden like i as someone that just wrote about dallas's defense like you can kind of work it that way where it's still drop and you have a guy playing a little closer to the level of screen but you're just switching one through four if necessary Mm -hmm. Uh, so there are workarounds there like but as far as this current version i think that's really where they miss ben simmons like they just don't have a big wing defender as good as matisse thibel is like he's still going to be better against you know if you get a hawk series like put him against trey versus here's this power wing here's we're going to toss you on Giannis. like you're not doing that with matisse like he just doesn't have the physical build for that kind of matchup and so if you do flip simmons in a deal for harden like you still have to rectify that somehow to buy a answer and so if they don't do that there's going to have to be another move on top of that. So if it does become not just a switch one through four and drop Joel, if it does become a pure switch everything, they have a lot of work to do to make sure they have the personnel to do that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it will, as you mentioned, there are ways to clean up some of it. And 
The other way that Philly can work their way into this conversation, you brought up Ben Simmons, is whether it's Ben Simmons or it's somebody else, the idea that they've been, you know, I would say as good as they've been, especially with Joel Embiid going supernova for the last month, the that they've been doing that without their second best player, their, you know, one of their biggest salary slots, getting mm. absolutely nothing from that. You know, if they can get, even if it's like a third or fourth best player, but somebody who's clearly in their starting or closing five from that 33 million from that Ben Simmons slot that would make make a huge difference because it puts everybody in the pecking order they've had to deal with a series of absences at the same positions right now you know with when there was a time that Maxi and Curry and Thibel I think were all out at the same time mm-hmm. so yeah you're gonna have to have to deal with that but the other team that we haven't discussed here and unfortunately they're not going to be full strength for a while because of the injuries to Caruso Ball and Derek Jones Jr. Mm-hmm. is the Bulls and wonderful success story and I mean them being firmly in the playoff mix even was better than I expected and they currently have the second best record in the Eastern Conference and they've been very competitive but and and if I'm if I'm right and they're second tier in the Eastern Conference even at full strength that should be considered a triumph that should not be considered a disappointment or anything else and I know their front office was more optimistic about this than I was and they're far closer to the pin but they don't have a ton of defensive versatility either and then they could run into a problem sort of similar to what OKC did at different points and a few other teams which is they've been able to get more out of some of these limited offensive players better defensive players partially some of them like you know like Lonzo has just been better defensively than than we had before but you know Caruso and Derek Jones Jr. all that and when you get into better talent and specific tactical coaching some of those players become bigger problems and Derek Jones Jr. is a great example of that because it happened to him previously and I I love Derek Jones Jr. I'm I think Chicago getting him was a great was a great part of the Lowry Markinen overall move which I thought they did very well in but the idea that they're going to, you know, again, it's the like three series against, let's call it the, you know, the Bucks, the Heat, the Nets, and whoever the, you know, the Western Conference, or if we want to say two teams that you'd have to be two of them in the second and third round. That's a lot to ask, especially when they really are relying on two players offensively, even if they're damn mm-hmm. good. Yeah, that's fair. Like heading into the year as someone that was pretty low in Chicago, I had them as a play in team and they proved me wrong within the first month of the year. Like, yep. Okay, cool. I'll just take Dale. That's fine. But um, one of my concerns was like the defense in general, in which they've been a lot stronger structurally, especially when they've been healthy than I thought they would be. But like from a personnel standpoint, I was like, okay, who's going to be the weeks? If they're going to play Vooch higher or whatever, then who's going to be the weak side help? Because like you're going from Thad Young to a second year player in Patrick Williams, who I think will be good enough to do that consistently but is he ready for that this year i don't know and then he got hurt and it's like okay what are we doing here exactly and so now with patrick williams um last i saw he may be back by the end of the regular season but um it's like okay you're relying on him to execute that kind of coverage you're also relying on him to be your best perimeter defender or at least your best wing defender and then it's like who else do you have beyond that and of of those guys you know you mentioned Derrick jones jr like are those guys also playable on the other end for sure and so that that's just kind of where I'm like I I just don't know where I am with Chicago on the defense. I think ultimately like my problem one they've just been better than I thought, but also I think my concerns for them in a playoff setting I think I factored that in too much for what they could accomplish in the regular season on the high end, and that's where I was like okay, well I don't 
I feel like they're the fifth or sixth best team in terms of like a playoff setting. So therefore, this is where they're going to be in the regular season. And like that's just clearly not the case. Levine's been fantastic. DeMar's been fantastic. Lonzo's been very good. Alex Caruso, before getting hurt, he was on my all-defensive first team when we did ballots so, at the dunker spot. So like it's they do have more talent and it's been more cohesive than I thought. But like there are still some personnel versatility questions that I have. And then the big thing you mentioned, like they have two guys they rely on the offense. That's also part of the problem because it heading into the year, it should have been banked in. It's three. Levine's going to do what he does. DeRozan does what he does. Vooch is going to be the kind of the compliment and the counter to that. And Vooch has been so uneven offensively this year. It is kind of hard to rely on what you're going to get from him. Yeah, that that's definitely true. And it's it's going to be diff- difficult to reconcile. But that is a much, you know, like we, we just talked about six teams as, and, you know, we split them into tears a little bit but that's an exciting development for for the east and who knows mm-hmm. maybe one of these other teams can figure it out to become a little bit feistier i'm well we'll see i mean that i've i've wondered if the celtics are i mean they've had some big wins you don't get to play the kings every night but you get to <laughs> get to do some of that let's jump to the west and before we i mean we say we get into the contenders you wrote a piece at basketball news about the like you pick pick to play and anthony davis coming back and i i I think it was gilbert arenas who of course has you know has more of a track record playing in the nba than i do he was i think he had a quote about when they were really struggling about like i don't know how this team makes the playoffs and Mm -hmm. i i was kind of the opposite it's like i don't know how this team doesn't make the playoffs unless they get sabotaged by injury partially because the bar in the western conference is just so incomprehensibly low like right now there with the with the wolves winning last night there are seven teams over 500 and then you have the lakers at 500 the clippers are one game under and then nobody else is closer than seven (laughs) so for them to get into the play-in mix like they could fall they could be significantly less healthy than they've been and they could still struggle to get everything working and i still think they make it at least into the play-in but probably into the playoffs because I, I, a, I think they're a better team than that. Like this is like the worst, ca- like the worst case scenario. I still think they're in, and then they should be significantly better than the worst case scenario, just as we'd expect for every team. Yeah, like it's just it's been such a funky year for the Lakers. As someone I I wrote about the Russell Westbrook trade for the year, and I was slightly optimistic on it. And I was like, hey, okay, this is how it works. This is the benefit of taking LeBron off the ball in this very specific way. At the very least, it should help the non-LeBron lineups. Yada yada yada. It's just been uneven to be kind. And then you have the injuries, the lack of shooting, or at the very least, the lack of two-way talent. They have shooters on the roster, but they can't defend. They have defenders on the roster that you can just ignore. And so it's just been a whole big, weird mismatch. But to the Gilbert Arenas point, like, I think missing the playoffs is too much, unless he meant it within the context of, like, okay, the top six are now the playoff teams, and then it's the play-in. So, like, if you're saying, like, I don't see how they made the top six, sure, I can go there. Granted, they are getting healthier. Anthony Davis is back. So maybe that might be too much. But, like, at least I kind of get it. I I didn't anticipate the Lakers being a team that just flat out misses. Like, that seems a, a bridge too far for me. Same. But are you feeling, I mean, I am feeling less optimistic that they can make it all the way through. Because not only do you have the degree of difficulty that it, it would take a, a big lift for them to, to do anything other than be the road team in every series they play in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. And because... I mean, we, I, I brought this up with Brooklyn before about how the like, who's going to step up question. I would say that group, you know, from three to 10 in the Lakers rotation is even more bleak than with Brooklyn when you think about it, the playoff crucible. Yeah, that's definitely fair. Again, like they've they've been searching for cohesive lineups all year long. And 
you know, a large portion of that is just the roster being a bit mismatched. But also, like, I feel like that's probably the one or the strongest criticism of Frank Vogel's coaching job this year. Like, I, I haven't been at the fire, fire Frank train at all. Like, I think there's a lot of this is just out of his control. If there's one thing you can point to, it can be kind of the lineups. Um, but yeah, as far as the Lakers playoff hopes, like I, I don't love any of the matchups for them right now. Like even if they are, if they're able to get in, let's say they get in at eight, like I'm not picking them over Phoenix. I understand what LeBron means. I understand a healthy Anthony Davis changes some things. I wouldn't pick them over Phoenix. If they somehow got the seven, I wouldn't pick them over Golden State. If they got the six because Denver's still unhealthy and stuff, like I think Memphis is a better team. Like even if you feel like the Lakers have the two best players in the series, or at least the best player in the series in LeBron, like Memphis has also played the Lakers very well over the last few yeah. years, if memory serves. And like, yeah, I could I could see myself, you know, we're assuming reasonable health for both sides. I could mm-hmm. see myself picking the Lakers over the Grizzlies or the Jazz, but I'm not like I don't think that's obvious or that I'm expecting to. I just you you can see mm-hmm. the path. And I mean the LeBron Anthony Davis pairing is so dynamic that you know they they can they can make a lot of things happen offensively and make a lot of things disappear defensively but you do need stuff around them and it would be fascinating to see if they like basically the idea of uh, this has come up before if it's like if they do well enough to get into those sorts of seeds how how would they be doing it would it be through additions did they make something at the deadline and yeah it's their their place in this will i mean we'll get much more clarity on it in the next month or so especially hopefully they can they can be healthier than they've been mm-hmm. but part of it for me in the west is I think we've gotten a clearer understanding of like the 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 fragility or limitations of the Warriors a little bit. I mean, they need they they're they're an ensemble cast in a different way than some of the other ones are, and it's just because you know Draymond Green is extremely important to what they do defensively, especially against the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And offensively, they need Curry to be playing at a really high level in order to make everything work. And he, you know, again, the the Mavericks game last night, which I attended in person, he did a lot of that through orchestration. His jumper still wasn't falling for most of the game. But there isn't anybody, the kind of bigger picture point there, and I want to see if you agree, is I don't see anybody running and hiding in the West either. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, just in terms of the Warriors' construction, like, if you have Steph and Dre on the floor, you have an elite unit on the floor, more than likely. Sure. But you zoom out from those guys, and this is something that I brought up on the Dunker Spiral recently. It's like, okay, I'm not saying that Golden State is a bad team or a fraud or anything like that. Like, they have been uh, slightly above average since mid-December now, and they've been a bad offense since mid-December. And this was before Dre went down. They play, they've been playing games without him since January 11th, I think is the date. So even predating the Dre injury, the office was kind of clunky. And this yep. is with Steph looking bad. And well, Steph looking at his version of bad because teams are still defending him like he's shooting 80% from three. So like it only matters to a certain extent. But it kind of highlighted why I had, I think heading into the year, I think I had Golden State as like a four or five seed or something like that. And it kind of highlighted why I felt that way. I was like, okay, beyond Steph, like who exactly do we trust? offensively yeah who's who else is creating advantages for the other guys to maximize the Warriors have done a nice job getting players that like Gary Payton is probably a phenomenal example of this like Payton has been better at executing the advantage than I expected you know turning that into buckets whether it's you know he's right. threes and dunks and everything like that but he's not creating too many other than through defensive turnovers which he has of course been phenomenal on and mm-hmm. Clay that's not I mean he's been passing the ball better but that's not really what he does Poole, we've seen some signs. We've seen some signs there, but not enough to say like, oh yeah, he, he can do that against like really good teams. So it you can do, I mean, Kerr believes in the system. You can do things that way. But 
I could see times that it grinds down, that the defense being as good as it's been, especially because they can be versatile when they're healthy. And we haven't really even seen the full strength Warriors that much, is that they can they can do a lot of different things. And you brought this up with Milwaukee, and I think it's a really fascinating part of the equation for the Warriors, is when they're healthy, it doesn't need to be the same five every night. And mm-hmm. I wrote a piece on Gary Payton for The Athletic a few weeks ago and was talking about the early bird and everything else. But I, at the end, I went on this little riff about the idea that if Clay Thompson's better defending twos and threes now than ones, he could end up being a part of the closing five against teams like Memphis because mm-hmm. he can be the point of attack guy. You don't want Steph Curry to do that. And if Clay's not great at it, then you have somebody else who can do it. Mm-hmm. And maybe somebody, you know, they, against another team, maybe you need that a little bit less, especially if they rely on a bigger a bigger creator. Incidentally, like the Lakers, you might not necessarily want that smaller guy on the floor. You want somebody a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. but Or you want somebody you could shoot. You know, you could just look for a different, a different sort of benefit. And as much as I like the Suns, I don't think, and their record has been great, and they've been able to handle absences and everything else. They have some of the kind of like you could say it's a little bit Bucksy, where it's like they had this success last year, and there's full reason to believe that it's going to continue in the regular season, and that they are not a bad playoff team by any stretch of the imagination. But do I think they are a buzzsaw against every good team in the NBA? No, that's just not the way I see it. Okay, I feel that. Like, I think there are some, uh, there's still a little bit of rim pressure issues for this Phoenix team. Sure. And so if you're able to grind them down, like it's relying on a lot of tough shot making from Booker, from Chris Paul. And obviously they're good enough to do it. They did it last year. But in terms of the process, I can understand like wanting that to be a little bit easier. And that's why the development of DeAndre Aiden um, as a post-up guy, as a seal guy, as a beat, a small on the switch guy has been so important. And why the on-ball growth from Mikael Bridges has been such an important thing to track. Because you need those guys as counterpunches. Um, as you get deeper into the postseason. So I feel you on that. With Golden State, uh, just going back to the offense point, like the whole all-star um, push for Andrew Wiggins with his offensive efficiency, like all of that has come because he's been asked to create less. Yes. <laughs> so like just going to that point, like I just don't know if Steph isn't Steph, then it's just like, okay, sure, you can get a pool night. You can get a clay night. You can get an auto porter night. Like we've seen that earlier in the regular season. And like that's fine. But like as far as relying on that as a formula in the postseason, like I don't feel super comfortable with that. Not that it can't work, but I don't have the comfort level in Golden State that I would with a team that's won 73% of its games if that makes sense it does make sense and i I, i'm interested in what the warriors can do to make me feel more confident maybe it's clay when when clay gets to 100 and so then it's you know those four main guys with curry draymond wiggins and clay not necessarily in that order of course Mm -hmm. then and then it's like as long as you have a fifth it doesn't really matter like there there is a possibility there maybe they trade for somebody i distinctly doubt it and i wonder if i think their success has actually given bob myers a little bit of cover to keep kuminga and wiseman and and moses moody around so you can you can kind of play both ends of this for at least for a year or two but their like their pathway to success is very specific and i'm all i'm always a little bit skeptical of that and with the suns they have a lot of talent but it's the for me the big question is kind of on both ends of the floor how are they going to make life difficult on teams that have a lot of talent on both ends of the floor too you know like uh jake if jay crowder is hitting a shots if if booker is going going supernova then yeah that's gonna be the case but like there will be teams in the western conference 
that Chris Paul is not going to be able to attack the way that he did Jokic last year in that mm-hmm. series. And the, the the Bucks, I think, did a pretty good job against him, and, and they had it. And you know, not every team is going to have Milwaukee's talent, but the I, I think the Suns are very good, and they are a credible Western Conference champion. I'm saying that for sure. But I don't, and I think they will have home court. I think things are. I think things are actually lining up pretty cleanly for them to have home court in the entire in the entire playoffs. Mm-hmm. Especially, I mean, now like those a Anthony Slater had a thing had a thing today. I think it was in an athletic chat about you know like using the All Star break as the calibrated for Draymond. So okay, if he's going to be out at least that long, or at least that's the significant likelihood, then they're going to fall off, and the Jazz have already had their fall. So that puts them in even better position than they were going to be in before. Mm-hmm. But sort of similar to what we talked about before. So you know, it's, we focused on the Suns and the Warriors. What if anything? Can these other teams in the West, the Grizz, the the Jazz, the Mavs, Mavs are a really interesting question for this, and you, you've talked, but we, we alluded to it before, and then Denver, how can they work their way into this conversation, or are they already in it? Um, I think in terms of tiers, I do think it's Phoenix, Golden State, and then it's another tier. Um, and I would like to say at least early in the year, it was Phoenix, Golden State, and Utah in that tier for me. But I am just concerned about Utah's bench and also just their perimeter defense at large. That a fair concern. Yeah, like it's like I I was very ready to be like, hey, Utah's this year's Milwaukee. They're experimenting with different stuff. Beginning of the year, they're not passing as much. They're trying to reconfigure the offense a little bit. They're trying to downsize a little bit more. They're switching a little bit more defensively. Like, okay, I see it. They may slip in the regular season, but in the postseason, gonna be more. And now I'm just like, nah, this is I'm losing faith here. Like injuries have played a large part in their recent uh, slide, but like even before that. It just hasn't been tight. Like I've always had the issue. Like Royce O'Neal is a good defender, but he can't be your good, your best defender if you're trying to get through the West. And like that's still ringing true. Joe Ingles is just not Joe Ingles anymore, which is a problem in terms of a stabilizing force coming off the second, uh, coming off the bench for them. I think Utah probably. I think they have the best chance at jumping back into that top tier if they can find a way to solidify the bench. Like if that's trading for, if that's finding a trade for Jamie Grant, if that's trading for Eric Gordon, if you're going to go a little bit lower in the transaction list like maybe that does it for them because like their offense is good enough to compete with anybody the defense if they're able to stay on their base is good enough to bother anybody but once you get into the counterpunch part that's where i'm just like i i still can't get there with memphis I mean, with Utah. With Utah. And I, I think that Donovan Mitchell's growth has made me feel a little bit better about it. I mean, he's I, I like him better on ball this year. Also, an important development that last year, Donovan Mitchell shot 48% on twos. This year, he's at 55%. Mm-hmm. And it's not like the Jazz overall personnel changed so dramatically. That's, that's Mitchell getting to the basket more. That's and it well actually he's getting to the basket a little bit less but he's finishing better sorry i should have clarified it's also it, the floaters is maybe going to tone tone back a little bit mm-hmm. but i i've long believed that utah like the the theory of it was that they had to improve a lot offensively because the defense was always going to be a little bit limited like you know it, it seems weird when you have rudy gobert but the idea that you have a limited ceiling because they're when you're playing conley and you're playing mitchell both of whom are damn good players but they have these limitations and in order to make the offense sing you're gonna have to play at least one other guy who can shoot really well Hmm. and generally speaking you're not gonna have that guy if you already have your best players and you have your payment structure that player is also not going to be a great defender like that's it's just too much to ask of any one any one person Hmm. so like for example if they got jeremy grant to me jeremy grant is he's replacing royce o'neill in the rotation he's not replacing bogdanovich or ingles because you still need them to make everything else work 
And Grant is an upgrade for sure. I mean, he's he's a very good player, but is that enough to solve it? And so, and I'm I haven't been in the mode of like it, it seems to me like it's not an intractable problem. It's just a really hard to solve problem, which is mm-hmm. which has made me more intrigued with Memphis. Not necessarily saying like Memphis's expected value playoff scenario is better than Utah's, but and it's so funny because they played last year and they played it was a five game series, but. I think there's a better chance of Memphis punching over their weight or like them figuring something out. I mean, Jaw's been unbelievable for a lot mm-hmm. of this year that they just that they can reach that other gear. Maybe it's because familiarity breeds contempt and we, we kind of understand what the Jazz are. But maybe it's also just that Memphis has taken another real step this year, top to bottom on their roster, honestly. That they have. And I think I I definitely understand where you're coming from. It feels like even if you don't feel like Memphis is as good or their ceiling isn't as high as Utah's, like they also seem to have more answers to, to the test than Utah does, if that's mm-hmm. a way to phrase it. I like that. So, so I think that's even then, like that's putting a lot of strain on Ja, which I mean, he's he's ready to handle it. Even in that five game series, like game, you know, early in the series, like, OK, it can kind of see some of the warts. But like even as they were losing, like he got more comfortable and more comfortable against Utah's defense and he was just shredding them by the end of the series and they just didn't have enough and so now you go into year two of this where jaw's taking a leap desmond bain is taking a leap jaron jackson is actually healthy and looks good they just have a deep talented cast of guys and a bunch of again look, we talked a little bit about it with miami where it's like you know fully healthy they might have 11 guys they can shuffle through if they want to memphis has the same thing like they have been shuffling through <laughs> a bunch of guys because of injuries or just because all right this guy's having a good week let's give him a run and now he's playing too well to take him out of the rotation so I'm intrigued by uh, uh, by Memphis. Like they, they're the wild card for me. Like this has been a surprising run for them, in my opinion. I guess I just wasn't as high on Memphis as others were heading into the year. But like the stretch without Job was impressive. You know, you can quibble about the schedule if you want to, but like that stretch was impressive. Job comes back; they've still been really freaking good. So I don't know. Like right now, they're four. It's well, funny right you you brought up Memphis as the wild card. I think Dallas could be the wild card too. You wrote well about their defense about a week ago, and I don't think they can do what they did against everybody. I'm informed also by that that game last night when the Warriors when the Warriors ran on them. But mm-hmm. there are reasons to believe that that Dallas's defense is credible, if not meaningfully better than credible. Yeah, like it's that's kind of the the question I'm asking myself when it comes to Dallas defense. Like I have watched them more recently, wrote about them, and it's just like okay, the things that they're doing structurally, like in terms of their coverage and things that have changed from this year, like none of that is fluky, right? Like you don't accidentally get back in transition better. Like that's an active thing that you do. Like you don't just accidentally rotate cleaner. Like that's a thing that you purposely do. So like that's not a thing I'm super worried about. But then I just I can't shake what the personnel is, and it's just like okay, cool. Dorian Finney Smith is good, but like also he shouldn't be guarding number ones. Like in an ideal world, it should be similar to the Royce O'Neal thing. Like in an ideal world, it's like, okay, we have Defender X and we have Royce O'Neal and we have Dorian Finney Smith to throw at you instead of it's Dorian Finney Smith and XYZ. And so as they get into some of these matchups, like right now it would be the four or five with Utah, which boy, would that be a fun series for Twitter? But But like if you if you pick let's say you pick them in that round and now they're playing Phoenix, it's just like, okay, I don't know if they have the horses for something like that for defensively because they can just skin you in so many different ways. So I I don't know. But then on the other side, it's like, okay, Luca can just be a singular force in a way that some of these other teams can't they can't offer in a series. So like 
I don't know. Like Memphis still my wild card. Like I just feel like they're more talented top to bottom. But with what with what Dallas has done defensively this year, combined with Luca starting to round into form, like I you can see the vision of them being kind of that dark horse. Right, and it's super exciting to have teams with that kind of potential. And you could throw Denver in there if if if, if. they get their play <laughs> they get their players back and they're looking good and. The idea that no one's running and hiding in the West, I mean, I, I, I'm struck by the concept I talked about with what I think was on this on this podcast with Seth Partno, where he said if Jamal Murray hadn't gotten hurt last year, he, he probably would have picked them to come out of the West. Mm-hmm. And you can make an argument that as much as the Warriors and Suns have had these great stretches, that the top of the West isn't that much stronger if it is stronger than it was last year. It's just different. You know, the, the construction mm-hmm. is just a little bit different. And so for Denver, the challenge is going to be it's all ifs. And this is a high bar. And they'd have to raise their level of play so quickly. And Jokic is unbelievable. It might not be as much of an adjustment for him. But Aaron Gordon has barely played with Jamal Murray, getting the flow of it. I mean, Michael Porter Jr., all the all the question marks with a back injury. So the wild cards out west are a different dynamic. Something that I'm I love because mm-hmm. you know it, it the uncertainty and it also the the idea that I mean Arturo Gladi brings up uses the phrase a lot of like Styles makes fights. I am having a lot of trouble at the moment, and I feel like I have a decent handle on these teams, less than 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 many right now, but that, that's the way it works. But how a Dallas-Memphis series plays out, how a Dallas-Utah series plays out, I mean, Luka, he's had two wonderful playoff series. They just ran into a really good team that then happened to get hurt or just disappoint in, in, in two years ago. But the Clippers are a really tough matchup for Dallas, and Dallas gave them a real charge last year. So mm-hmm. what happened? happens when Luka Doncic plays a team that doesn't have the same personnel that the Clippers did and so I mean are are we have we just been like seeing seeing the low watermark and the high watermark is you know two three months away that's a good point because like with the Clippers matchup the last two years like it's less about Luka and the fact that that Clipper team was the literal worst matchup for Dallas's second best player in Christoph Porzingis. Oh yeah. Thank you so, for bringing like, that up. So like, that's kind of where it's just like, it's less about Luka. like Luka could just do it again. He can kill you and like he killed any defensive coverage you throw at him. So like, I, I feel like he's already kind of scheme proof. The thing with him is, you know, making sure that he has enough gas um, by the time you get into the late four, because I think with all the switching and what all, you know, the Clippers did to target him and also just to irritate him throughout that series, he just kind of burned out in second halves. And like, you know, part of that is just on him needing to get in better shape, but also like he needed some help. I think that's where Jalen Brunson having the year that he's having this year is helpful. And the year that Tim Hardaway Jr. is having right now, offensively at least, is a bit questionable. Like ideally you want all those guys firing once you get to the postseason. I, I'm glad you brought this up though. Like I am curious to see like what does Dallas look like a te- look like in the playoffs against a team that doesn't switch everything and have a bunch of switchable dudes. That Utah series could actually be pretty scary. For sure. And now, think about it. And how do you how do you counter like as the Jazz, a player who I, I've brought this up with Gobert before, a team that doesn't particularly need to get all the way to the basket, that isn't necessarily trying to do that all the time. And mm-hmm. that can be a it can be a real challenge. And I mean like you look at Dallas's shot chart. This year, 29th in proportion of their shots at the basket, 28th last year, 29th the year before. So that's <laughs> two different coaches. That's a lot of different personnel. It's just been a part of the the story for them. And yeah, there are other consequences that, you know, maybe you don't get to the line as much or, or other things. But the personnel is, is, is such a huge factor there. And 
it could even be the series that I, I have this kind of thought in the back of my head of it's like there's a lot more variants like you could see a five game series that could have gone the other way like that that it could be one of those like you know a couple guys get hot and players like you know Desmond Bain could end up swinging one of these you know if they're in the three to six mix could be a really big difference I, I'm, I'm super it, it's weird to be excited about this pre-deadline and this far away from it but <laughs> I love things that I can't figure out like that's one of my favorite parts of this business and we got a lot of that in the west yeah it's just everything's in flux outside of the top and even the top has questions and like we you know we just went through memphis we went through utah we went through dallas and denver with them being wild cards and like we just spent like 10 minutes talking about the actual biggest wild card in the west in the lakers yeah <laughs> for sure so like by the time we actually get to the postseason so many things could be flipped on its head for sure for sure so it's it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun this year I like to end with this question, especially for for somebody like you that watches the whole league. We're at the end of January. What players, what teams are you focusing on over this next little while? What interests you the most? Ooh, what interests me the most? Like, one, like, if the Lakers have been the most disappointing team in the West, the Hawks have been the most disappointing team in the East this Mm -hmm. year. They currently have the longest win streak in the Eastern Conference right now. They're starting to get a little bit healthy. So I want to see, can this Hawks team pull it together? Like, that's probably number one on the list for me. Can they pull it together and work themselves into the play-in, if not the playoff push? Because even with how bad they've been, like, they're four games behind Charlotte for seven. And so there's a lot of season left. They may have a run in them Um, beyond Atlanta, like the MVP race at large just intrigues the heck out of me right now. It's tough. It's tough. This Embiid push has been insane. Giannis has been a metronome this year. Jokic has been absurd. Like KD was in, but he got hurt. Like the recent slide for Steph individually. Like I wonder where that puts him. DeRozan's been really good, but like Chicago's now being super hurt. Like it's a lot. I'm going to be tracking that Um, beyond that. I'm just excited to watch a bunch of basketball. Like, that's probably a boring answer, but like this year has just been so weird. Like it was depressing early on, well, and, and to watch COVID healthier <laughs> and to watch healthier basketball. Like there are some yeah. of these teams that we've only are going to figure it out. Well, we'll we'll get a better idea. I have another one. I've been I've been fascinated with the Pelicans the last few weeks and the idea mm-hmm. that there's just there's just a more competitive team that they had this tire fire of a start of the year and then they've been you know pretty pretty respectable team had put a charge into some and they I I was watching the third quarter when they were playing better against the Sixers until the Sixers ended up taking control of that game and I've been floating this idea in my head that the non-Zion Pelicans make the play-in and maybe make the playoffs and or they're or they're in the mix and then Zion comes back in March and all of a sudden we're like okay maybe they don't make any noise this year but they're cooking with gas and that would be that would be just another little piece of dynamite to throw into this pond I I appreciate the lot to talk about Herb Jones and how awesome he is (laughs) thank you he is making a very strong case for all uh, all rookie first team also making a case for all defensive second team for me. Like he's been he's been that good this year on the defensive end of the floor. Like he's fun and watching him figure out some things offensively. He's shooting well. Like the drives are interesting. Like I, I uh, think it was Jackson Frank that posted a clip on his Twitter not too long ago of Jack, of him hitting the floater. I was like, okay, he's finally doing some stuff in the mid range. That's fun. I'm glad he's actually trying it now. But anyway, he's fun. Brandon Ingram's been all star good this year. Uh, I don't know if he's gonna actually make the team. Like maybe if the Western Conference had the front court injuries that the East is dealing with, like maybe he gets in. But he's been good. Like the Pelicans are a funky group, and they're what a game out of the play in right now, two games out of the play in. Yeah, I would I keep so. an eye on that, especially if Portland continues to slide. Uh, San Antonio, I'm still not sure what 
they are right now, and the Kings are just God bless Alvin Gentry. I, I do wholeheartedly love that one of at least one of the Portland, New Orleans, San Antonio, Sacramento is going to make the play in. Mm-hmm. It's uh, and and that could end up being that one of them is awesome. You know, like the, I, I the they they have a much better second half and they get in and that is, and then the uh, the other thing that I want to keep an eye on, and this is just as somebody who's who's done this job for a while, is mm. February can, depending on the year, February can sometimes be the last really good time to watch some of the bad teams, depending on how heavily they're going to lean into the skid. Mm-hmm. Because there there will be a point where some of these teams just realize, you know, hey, we, we, don't, we can play our best players a little bit less. We can give these young guys more of an opportunity. And where those lines are drawn is going to depend. But Cade has been awesome for this last little stretch. So yes, Cunningham, Jalen Green has had some some real good ones and some bad ones. And maybe Orlando, like if they get, I don't know, I have no idea when they're getting some of their guys back. But I am I want to see my one of my biggest, it's a strange thing to have as one of your biggest hopes in the league, but I want to see Franz Wagner, Jonathan Isaac, and Wendell Carter play together this year for like a six, seven game stretch. If that happens, yeah. I will watch probably four of those six seven games to figure out whether there's really something here because orlando but they, they with how well wagner has played in particular they might be closer to this then, I mean, and you, you wrote about Jalen Suggs earlier in the week, like they might, I don't think they have everything. Like, I don't think this is a sleeping giant or anything like that, but they're going to be getting a high pick this year and they have mm. some players that haven't played a second so far. Yeah. Like we, like does Jonathan Isaac play basketball at this point? Like, I don't know. That's, that's another podcast, but, <laughs> but no, Orlando is an interesting team because like they have the young guys like Wendell's been good this year. Like, I'm glad that he's been empowered to shoot. That's been fun. Franz Botner has been fantastic. Jalen Suggs is back and he's looking pretty good on both ends, like steal some warts, but he got drafted top five for a reason. Gary Harris is knocking down threes again, which is a huge development for him because it's been kind of sad watching him the last couple of years. Like they have some stuff like I would imagine they're going to be looking to move like a Terrence Ross or Gary Harris or something by the deadline just to free up some more minutes. But we haven't seen Markel Fultz yet. Like. Or at the very least, we haven't seen him in a while. And so, like, I, this is an intriguing team. Like, I want to see, like, maybe if they are able to figure out, like, what the actual core is and they're able to get the right mix of veterans there, like. I don't want to say they could be like this year's Cleveland in terms of like they're going to be, you know, a top four seed for most of the year. But like to make the leap in the play in territory next year, like maybe mm-hmm. like there's something to keep an eye on at the very least. For sure. Well, I, I, you know, it's funny. We got into all these little things at the end. I'm like, yeah, we could do a whole podcast on all that. You, of course, do great work with, with Steve, so we can see where it goes. But thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thanks for having me on, man. Anytime. Thanks again to Nikias for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent writing at Basketball News. You can listen to the Dunker Spot podcast that he does with Steve Jones Jr. And you can follow him, if you don't already, on Twitter at Nikias NBA. That's N-E-K-I-A-S NBA. Love having him on. Love these conversations. And so excited for all of his success. If you want to support this show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode that is particularly useful for Real GM Radio because it will never come out on a specific day of the week, so you can't really get in habit. So if you subscribe, then it'll just pop into your player, whichever one that is, whenever that happens. You can also help other people find the show. That can be through word of mouth, wherever you see fit, or by leaving a rating and review in the podcast player if you're choosing. Those things do help people find the show, even though Real GM Radio has been around for a while at this point. You can also 
check out my other work, Nate Duncan and I still doing Dunked On and Dunked On Prime. Typically two public episodes a week, and then Dunked On Prime covers the rest, and we're doing, so that's usually four bonus episodes, then if you want total access, we're doing a sale right now. That gets you access to our salary sheets and to our Discord, which is a lot of fun. We do chats there, and there's a really wonderful community as well. You can also check out the NBA cast. That's Nate and I calling one game a week on League Pass. You can watch the game and listen to us call it on the same screen. We've actually posted a few videos recently of what that experience is like. And we're doing Grizzlies Sixers, really fun one, on Monday, 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific. Incredibly excited about that. You can also check out my written work at The Athletic. have a couple things in the offing that should be coming out relatively soon, so um, always fun to do that now that we're getting close to the trade deadline. Lots of content in various forms for me. Most of it talking, but some of it writing as well. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. I try to reply. I'm not the greatest at it, but that is something I try to do as well. And that is all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Actually, one other thing. Um, I I mentioned this at one point, I think it was during Twitter Spaces. I have a recorded podcast with Stefan No that partially due to my own incompetence and partially due to a tech technical thing um it has not been uploaded yet but this one felt more time sensitive so i'm going to upload the stefano one probably over the weekend and so you will get that i'm counting that as last you know as last week so you're getting two podcasts you're getting a makeup one in that way and i'll have another new one next week but apologies for that it was just in the changeover it's been there have been a few little technical snafus and i'm not the greatest at navigating technical snafus so i apologize for that but thank you so much for listening take care and make it a great day Mm